have to do this podcast by myself. I'm not going to blow the cover of the person who was supposed to be on, but the convenient, my laptop broke today, literally today, uh, excuse. I'm not saying it's not valid, but it does seem far-fetched, and the fact that this person did not do well either in the playoffs or leading up to the playoffs, I don't know if that's a contributing factor. I don't know if he's burnt out, but one thing you can rest assured is I'm burnt out. I'm burnt out on losing to inferior teams. Let's just call it like it is. And I walked away, I resigned from the Yankees, and within 12 hours, I got a good night of sleep, per Craig's prediction, he did predict this, that I would come back the next day and have the entire league on notice that the Yankees are going to come back even better than before, and when has that ever worked out for the league, right? So, I'm back. We're here for another episode of Defying Gravity. This has got to be, what, episode number seven at this point? Hat tip to Grant and Chris for what was probably the best episode of this podcast, the trade deadline recap. I'm not going to front and say that I'm better than them because I'm not. They had a very good rapport, even while they're coughing up a storm. So, hat tip to those guys. But... Figured that this episode could be a key takeaways from the 2028 MEB season as we head into what should be a fascinating 2028-2029 offseason. So we'll just get going here with some takeaways that I've discovered. And we'll start with some more individual takeaways, individual player takeaways. It's award season. If you haven't voted... On Stats Plus for your seasonal awards, what are you waiting for? Now is the time. So, going to be doing some things based off of that. Then we'll get into some teams and some off-season takeaways here. But first things first. Usually you, you have a crop of MVP and Cy Young candidates for each league that are absolute no-doubt, no-brainer, MVP and Cy Young candidates. Uh, Not not this year. Not this year. Specifically, the NL MVP and AL Cy Young races absolutely sucked. And you look at the total war of the players that qualify for those respective awards, and it's really lackluster. Lion Richardson who I'm pretty sure was on waivers at one point in this league, led the American League with a 5.6 war season. That's it. That's usually a all-star caliber, maybe third or fourth starter out of the bullpen kind of guy in an all-star game. That's not a Cy Young winner. There's a very real chance he's going to win the Cy Young this year because... Tied for second with 4.1 war, which is not even a number one caliber starting pitcher in this league, in my opinion. Tied for second are Cianel Perez, good. Joe Musgrove, 
Woof. Joe Musgrove is the owner of a 4.05 ERA. He did it through accumulation. He had 200 innings pitched. There was nothing special about Joe Musgrove. Absolutely nothing special. It's literally Joe Musgrove. So, you know, Perez is interesting. He got the same amount of war as Joe Musgrove in almost 50 less innings. So, in preference, I'd go Perez second, Musgrove third. But the fact that we're having this discussion between two guys that barely reached four war is embarrassing. And it's a testament to the state of this league. It has become a very offensive centric league you've got guys that could be littered throughout a lineup a league average lineup and you could have six seven eight above average offensive players and again that's a middle of the road team in some instances and you're starting to see it play out in the seasonal award voting so that's a key takeaway uh if we go to the nl mvp Look, I think it's going to be Juan Soto. I don't think that's going to come as a surprise here. But again, beyond Soto, we have Seager and Landauer, Danny Alvarez, the ultimate splits man. I'm calling him splits man. Maybe that's the name of the episode, to be determined. Danny Alvarez, splits man. Eh, I'll think about it. But point is... I don't think this was a very good class of MVP candidates in the National League. Okay, I I think it's a lot I think there's a lot more players that performed very well, but outside of Soto, there really is nobody that should have received MVP consideration here. And just by default, Seager and Lindauer are probably going to get the second and third place votes interchangeably. But it's it's interesting how on one end, in one league, you have the pitchers that are not going to be worthy of some Cy Young votes that will be getting some. And in the other league, it's the MVP. So maybe we have a situation where the offense in the American League is exponentially better than that of the NL. And that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because the whole league is now utilizing the DH. You can't use that as an excuse. It is very interesting to see this play out the way it has. I do think offense is better in the American League and there is a greater emphasis on pitching in the National League. One guy that could... I don't know if he will. He probably won't. But one guy that will at least be near the top of the war leaderboard in the National League is Alvaro Herrera. Six foot eight, Alvaro Herrera. And I have to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen a career play out the way it has like Herrera's. Okay. This is a guy who, towards the end of his Boston career, was making a pretty decent amount of money and not really delivering, right? In his last year with 
Boston, he finished with a 94 WRC+, plus, 746 OPS. He had a 234 bat pip. His career bat pip is 265. So you want to make the case he was a little unlucky that year? Sure. But it's amazing because he has somehow gotten better since going to Chicago. And it's not like the Cubs present a huge upgrade in the ballpark. Wrigley Field and, and Fenway are not demonstrably different in their ballpark factors. And somehow Herrera has gotten better over time without a real ratings increase. He is 50% above the average of the bat this year. He led the National League with 48 home runs. This is an awesome story. And he might just be a top two or three generated player in the game. Right? The number one player has to be Nate Featherston. No question about it. But Herrera's got a case for number two. And I'm talking about guys that came in as major league caliber free agents. Not the international guys like Ruben Soto or Bernie Rulli. No one like that. I'm talking about guys that came into free agency as major league ready players. And I never saw it with Herrera from the start. And he has proved me wrong time and time again. So, congratulations, Alvaro Herrera, on a terrific career. I believe he has one more year under team control, and no reason to think he won't be slowing down anytime soon. He's just turned 33, so he's not really at that point where you expect a huge decline. Maybe this time next year we're having a different conversation, but I think he's been awesome. I don't see any reason why uh, that would stop. No real... Huge splits against lefties or righties. Um, ballpark factors, again, versus home and road. Not huge difference there. He's just been consistently awesome. So let's marvel in that while we, while we can. Next takeaway. Juan Flores is going to win the NL Cy Young, and he is awesome. <laughs> he is awesome. And I have to tip my cap. Seth, known as Big Ass Dwarf for the next calendar year, because he's the loser of the Fantasy Football League here, he continually tried to get a return from me while talking about Juan Flores and he was still a royal. He wanted to get a return as if Juan Flores was an elite pitching prospect. Juan Flores was elite in every regard as a pitching prospect, besides the fact that he had literally a two changeup, which did not progress for, what, three seasons in the minor leagues? Absolutely no progression whatsoever. And to his credit, not only has he developed that pitch, it's become a borderline eight pitch, okay? I'm not going to call it a 75 Jarrett's going to get on my case. Craig's going to get on my case. Kaz might get on my case. 75 is not a real grade. Okay, so I'm just going to call it a hard seven. Juan Flores went from a two changeup with plus plus potential to a plus plus hard seven changeup. 
that is really impressive. And I think the most impressive part is that he did it. He developed the pitch at an age where most pitchers, when they have a current two changeup, it's not going to get any better. It's not going to develop. The changeup is historically speaking, the most difficult pitch to develop for a pitcher. And all else equal, if I have two pitching prospects, one has a 55 potential changeup, the other has a 7 or 8, but the guy with the lower potential has the higher current grade for the changeup, I'm going to go with that guy. I'm not going to go with the guy that has the worst current changeup, especially if it's a 2. If it's a 25 which again, I don't think is a real grade, but as long as it's not a two, I'll take the gamble. But Juan Flores legitimately had a two-grade changeup. So the fact that he's gotten it to this point and is now melting faces in the major leagues is really impressive. Now imagine if Juan Flores did this a year or two ago. I got to see exactly when he was traded. He was traded in 2026. I don't want to think about what would be different with the Hammers because I don't think a whole lot would be different. I mean, Bueller was not the same, obviously. Soroka was injured all the time. But I don't know. It's You think about what if. What if Juan Flores was this good two years ago. Would we be having a different discussion about the Hammers? Who knows? Next takeaway here. I know a lot of you do not look at the pitchers tabs for rookie of the year. And that's understandable. It's not obvious that you need to go to a different tab to look at pitchers for rookie of the year and even for MVP. But I know for a fact that Billy Whalen's not going to win the NL Rookie of the Year for that exact reason. And that's a shame. That is an absolute travesty. Billy Whalen was hands down, hands down, the NL Rookie of the Year. Okay, It, It was not close. And if you look at the hitters from the National League... Hachori Kai and Sean Parada were good. I love Sean Parada. Sean Parada is the exact kind of player that I love. Okay, if you know anything about me, it's I want this kind of profile. Okay, I would probably have a discussion on who's more valuable long term. Would it be Parada or would it be Ruben Soto? I would lean Soto because he doesn't have the splits versus lefties that Parada does. And Parada's not a total zero against lefties. But it's just enough of a difference. Plus, Soto is so elite defensively. Whereas Parada is really, really good defensively. But he's not elite. Per defensive efficiency, he was 23% above league average last year in center field. I'm looking up Ruben Soto now. So Ruben Soto was 74% above, 80% above league average, excuse me, 
in center field. He's gonna win the side. He's gonna win the Gold Glove in center field. It's not gonna be close. But going on a tangent here, I think Parada is gonna be a special player. But, but Billy Whalen put up five WAR in his first season in the major leagues. Like this is a dude. He is a dude. He is. Is he an ace? Oh, if he's an ace or not, but he's really close. Urgh, he's so close. I want to call him an ace, but just as I start saying, Billy Willen is... Urgh, I can't finish the sentence. Urgh, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. It's close. It's probably going to happen, but he's not, not quite there yet. I want to see the command just get a tiny bit better. I want to see the command get a tiny bit better. I want to see the curve get a tad bit better, but... When I say ace, I mean top 10, top 11 pitcher in the game. But if he makes any of those improvements, whew, watch out. Arizona's going to be a problem. Arizona's going to be a serious, serious problem in the National League West. It's only a matter of time. And they just, for whatever reason, get so unlucky every season in base runs so by expected wins let's see where arizona ranked here arizona had three less wins than they were supposed to which i believe is good for like ninth or tenth in the league and looking at their one run record here so they were 19 and 26 in one run games this year. That's not good. And they were 6 and 11 in extra inning games. Okay, so very unlucky team. San Francisco for as good a job as Peter's done with that team, they had absolutely no business winning that division. No business. I think Arizona with Whalen and Halter and even Barco, I think you could throw in there as a name. Matthew Allen, you kind of just wait for him to put it together. He hasn't, but he's interesting. That's a really good group. That is a really interesting group. And that doesn't even touch on the offense, which is awesome. I think they were third in run scored in the, Amer in the National League, if I'm not mistaken. We've talked about our friend Danny Alvarez, Melvin Murillo. God, if only he could play defense. If only Melvin Murillo could play defense, he'd be a top five player in baseball. But he's not that. He's a very subpar, very bad defensive second baseman. He would be bad at third base because he has no arm. He would be average defensively at first. He could play a little bit of left field, but ugh, I just I wish his defense was a little bit better. But my point is, Arizona has a ton of young dudes that are really good, really good. Um, they're gonna have to improve their defense. Okay, they were 13th in the National League in defensive efficiency, but this kind of goes into my next takeaway from this season in that the NOS is in serious trouble. Okay, the Dodgers, I think, are going to be fine, especially after 
the trade they just made to get rid of Alex Bregman. I mean, what a job. We will get into that from Tampa's side shortly. But Steven, in the span of two minutes, went from a zero farm system to hero farm system. I love that return so, so, so much for the Dodgers. But I do think it's going to hurt their major league team. There's no question about it. Alex Bregman is not the same player he was, and Noah's going to laugh at me, but I think it's a matter of time. I think it's a matter of time with him. And he's got a pretty big contract. I know the Dodgers are retaining some money. I know he still has got some defensive ratings that are really good, but I'm already seeing a little bit of a decline. So, to be determined, but it is a big loss for the Dodgers. They still have a very good team. They still have all their pitchers. Not overly concerned about them. I am concerned about the Giants and the Rockies, though, because that's when we start getting into teams that are losing a really decent amount of talent or are seriously considering moving off Major League talent. And... Colorado is the second oldest team in baseball. San Francisco is top five oldest team. The Dodgers, interestingly enough, are the oldest team in baseball, but trading Bregman will absolutely bring that number down, and Colorado should become the oldest team at that point. But San Francisco is losing a lot of firepower in that lineup. They're losing Bellinger, who opted out which I was a little surprised at. Albies opted out. I mean, that's two huge players in a lineup that outside of Bellinger and Albies wasn't elite, not by a long shot. I mean, they were already eighth in runs scored in the National League. This team mostly won with its pitching, which was amazing, and its star hitters. That was the formula. And I know they're going to have a lot of money to spend. That's great. But at the same time, we've seen what players like Bellinger and Albies can command on the free agent market. And there's no guarantee the Giants are going to land one of those guys. Now, we'll talk about some other guys that will be free agents momentarily. But... There is the possibility that if they don't get one of those guys, the Giants do take a big step back. The Rockies, on the other hand, they don't need to tear this thing down. Not by a long shot, but it sounds like that's what's on the table here. I get it, though, because this roster is old, very, very old, as we've already established. The pitching is laughable. Like Cole Henry, at the time of the trade, I said it was a mistake for the Rockies. I thought he was a bad fit there. And shockingly, he was a bad fit in Colorado with that movement. And there's really no one else that you look at besides maybe Mike Conti. And you're like, yeah, that guy could be really good in Colorado or at least respectable in Colorado. Jose Patances, to me, we talked about him when he was traded from the Pirates. 
I thought maybe that could work in Pittsburgh with the really good movement, the ability to keep the ball within the field, but he still walks a ton of guys. So that's not really going to help. And there's very little in the form of upper minors reinforcements coming for Colorado too. Like that's the other concern here. I love a lot of the guys that they have brought in through international free agency recently, but you know, Ricky Caracosa could be up at the major league level next year. I think Gabby Lipford is probably another year away. So you're basically looking at Caracosa and that's it in terms of reinforcements that are coming up. Kareem Watts is technically in the high minors, but he's a reliever to me. I'm sorry, he's a reliever to me with a two changeup. We've talked about this with Juan Flores. Kareem Watts is Juan Flores before Juan Flores became Juan Flores. So you want to get a feel for what I'm talking about? Well, that's exactly it. Kareem Watts is what Juan Flores used to be. And I look at that and it's just not enough in the form of reinforcements. So I understand the thought process for Colorado wanting to start blowing this thing up. I get it. If they can get a really nice return for Matt Olson, who's coming off another very good year, if they can get anything for Kyber Ruiz, which to be determined, I would do it. I would get Cole Henry out of Colorado. I think you sell low on Colorado on Cole Henry because do you really see this getting better with Cole Henry in Colorado? I don't. Like Cole Henry has proven that he can be very effective. Under the right circumstances, he is not a ballpark-proof pitcher. He's not an ace. He's a very fine number three. That's what he is. He's a very fine number three. He has no business being a number one, especially in Colorado. So I think they're going to take a huge step back. So that's why like the, the Giants and Rockies could take huge steps back. The Dodgers could take a minimal step back. So... You look at the Diamondbacks and you're just thinking, like, what competition are they going to have in the NL West? The Padres? I love what Kaz is doing with the farm system, to be clear. I think he's doing a very good job building it up, but I don't think they're competing next year. I think I think the Padres are actually closer to competing seriously than the Rockies and the Giants are. I mean, the Giants have a really good pitching staff. That's the one thing that could be the saving grace here. The Padres have some pretty decent major leaguers, and they've got some really nice prospects coming up. So not all doom and gloom with the Padres. And the Padres have a ton of money to spend. They have a ton of money to spend, almost as much as the Giants do. So I think... The Padres, Giants, Rockies, Dodgers are kind of all in the same situation. Padres kind of on the way up. Rockies, Dodgers, Giants on the way down. And the Diamondbacks are just in a tier above them all. That's that's the NL West for you folks. So it was a mammoth division. The fourth place team 
had a 500 record. It's it's going to be a brutal division again for four of those teams. Diamondbacks are not included on that list for me. Another takeaway. Jordan Groshans. Why am I bringing up Jordan Groshans? I would have usually no reason to bring up Jordan Groshans because he's, well, Jordan Groshans. But I just want to point out that some genius in the league, I haven't bothered to look at who it is because I don't want to shame this person. Jordan Groshans just received a Silver Slugger vote. And not just for any position. He received it for first base. Jordan Groshans. 611 plate appearances. 735 OPS. 91 weighted runs created plus. Some genius thought that that was better. <laughs> it has to be a joke, right? Someone thought this was better than Nate Wolgamuth. And this is no shameless plug. I'm just stating a fact. Nate Wolgamuth finished with 140 WRC+, plus, a 9.33 OPS. That's uh, 198 points better than Jordan Groshans. And Jordan Groshans received a silver slugger vote over him. Can I just ask why? Is it a troll job? Is it you trying to, you're so cute. I'm trying to be cute. I'm going to vote for someone so Wilgamith doesn't get the, I don't know what it is. But whoever you are, and you know who you are. You should be ashamed of yourself. You are the voter that did not vote for Ken Griffey Jr. You are the person that did not vote for Derek Jeter. You are the person that will not vote for Roger Clemens, for Barry Bonds, or Chris Schilling. So you should be ashamed of yourself. That's a complete disgrace. Another takeaway here. This may or may not have been discussed in the league chat before in previous seasons. I'm going to bring it up, though. I think we need to lower the threshold for plate appearances for catchers because as much as I love myself some Steven Hrusich, and as much as he should have won the Silver Slugger for the AL, if you look at the Silver Slugger for the catching position in the NL, you're stuck between Patrick Bailey and Jimmy Somers. Patrick Bailey had a 90 WRC+. Plus. Jimmy Somers had an 83 WRC+. Plus. Those are your two options. I understand catching is a position that does not emphasize hitting. But at the same time, that's, that's really bad. That's really, really bad. Wow. So I need to figure out how to lower the threshold... Specifically for catchers, not other, not other positions, but catchers. So that's another key takeaway here. All right. Key takeaways. Well, let's start looking towards the offseason, some trades that have gone down, and some free agents that we can expect. All right. So this 
has potential to be the best free agent class, maybe not only in MEB history, but perhaps maybe MLB history. Is that an exaggeration? Am I crazy? Let's put the crazy check on the crazy scale. One to 10. How crazy of an assessment is that? I just want to read off some of the names that will be available. And this is just free agency. This isn't trade. This is just free agency. Pete Alonso, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., Emerson Hancock, Nolan Arenado, Cody Bellinger, Ozzy Albies, Jordan Alvarez, Christian Yelich, many others too. I mean, there's a lot of really good players that are going to be free agents you're going to have a hard time convincing me there's another class in MAB history that's been this good. The side note, the catch here, the catch 22, because there's always a catch. The catch 22 is, I believe, everyone besides Hancock is 30 or older. Uh, that's not the great thing. The None of them are 26, so it's not the Machado and Harper year. It's not Correa this year. That's the side note. But in terms of overall talent, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that there's been a recent class in memory that's been this elite. The worst player of that bunch might be Christian Yelich. And Christian Yelich, well, let me just run over the numbers for you. He's been awesome in MEB, side note. And I think it's gone under the radar somehow because he was with Milwaukee and then he was traded to the Cubs and Brain's very good at this game, but he's very quiet. He's, he's a lot like Luke in that sense. So over the last three seasons, Christian Yelich has had a 165, 135 and 133 WRC plus. And he might be the worst player of that bunch that I just named. That's uh, pretty, pretty elite. So how much money is going to be spent this offseason? Is it going to be a billion dollars? It could very well be a billion dollars. I'm not going to say definitively it's going to be a billion dollars because, again, the age of these guys is going to play a factor. Like how, how many years would you go for Christian Yelich? Would you just go for a high AV, low year total? What about Pete Alonso, who's going to be 33? Like, there's a lot of different possibilities here for how this goes. I don't know. The truth is, I don't know. But I do think there's going to be a lot of money spent. I think you're looking at the Twins, Cardinals, Giants, Padres. Those might be your top spenders this offseason. So lots of intrigue with this free agent class. Lots of intrigue. All right, another key takeaway. And I said we would talk about this later, and we are. The Tampa Bay Rays. Very seldom am I at a loss for words. You guys know I love to talk. I love to talk. And sometimes to a fault. What the hell are the Rays doing? 
I really do not understand what they're doing. I just want to read off some of these trades again just to process this because it's it's really hard to understand. And maybe you guys can help me understand. I want to understand. I doubt I'm going to be able to, but I want to. First trade. Race trade, Nicodemo, Milano, and Eric Perez, and their comp pick for Abdiel Mendoza and Jesus Escobar. I created a firestorm yesterday by saying Milano is better than Escobar. <gasps> the horror, right? First off, Escobar is... Is he even better than Danny Alvarez at this point? Because the defense isn't anywhere near what Alvarez can provide. Alvarez, though not as great against righties as Escobar could be. I mean, Escobar has probably the best splits against righties I've ever seen. But I would still take Danny Alvarez over Jesus Escobar. Because he plays better defense. His splits against righties are still elite. And he hasn't missed the last almost two years with significant injuries. I mean, he, he he's missed the last 20 months with a humongous significant injury and a significant setback. That's not a player that I would give up Milano for, and I don't think he's as valuable as Milano. And then you throw in that they gave up Eric Perez, who I think is one of... I think he's one of the top 20 prospects in the sport because he can play short. I don't know how good he's going to be at short. He could be slightly above average at short, but even if he's not elite at short, and apologies if you hear dogs barking in the background, they don't like to trade either, apparently. But I just don't like this trade at all because Milano by himself I think is better than... Um, Escobar, but per just throwing Perez in seemingly just to get it over the hump. Like, I don't think you needed to throw Perez in to get it over the hump to begin with. I don't think you needed to add anything, let alone a top 20 prospect in the game. And oh, by the way, they also gave up their comp pick. Now, Abdiel Mendoza has been uh, a guy I've been a sucker for in the past. I thought that he would be a really interesting ground baller. The reality is... He's a Rugi. He okay. Craig is gonna get on my case because apparently I don't know what a Rugi is. Abdiel Mendoza is a legitimate Rugi. Okay, like I have absolutely no doubt about that. His FIP against lefties in his career one eleven. His FIP against uh, his, uh, weighted FIP, excuse me, one eleven. Weighted FIP against righties seventy five. Okay, this is a legitimate Rugi. I really want to know what a Rugi's going to help, how how a Rugi's going to help the Rays. And this isn't even me trying to discourage Noah from competing. I mean, I know I have no control over what Noah does. No one does. And I appreciate the fact that Noah is someone that wants to win all the time. I am very happy, selfishly happy, that he made this trade. And some of the others we're about to talk about. So advantage in this trade, 
Pirates. And the scary thought is this is the deal that I think was the least egregious for the Rays. Because the next one I don't understand for the life of me is Brandon Marsh. Brandon Marsh is a guy. He is literally just a guy who was good this year. He didn't really have significant splits home versus road, and that's great. Brandon Marsh has been a very good player in this league for a long time. But he is not a guy that is absolutely elite with the bat. I think he has been benefited by playing in cores. And the offensive ratings, like he's got an average hit tool, average home run power, good plate discipline, can hit the gaps pretty well, still runs well, still plays a pretty good defense, but he really shouldn't be playing center field. That's just me. Like he's a corner outfielder to me. And I understand that Colorado's retaining the entire contract here, and that's fine, but I really like Amaral. I really like some of the guys that Tampa Bay gave up. Like, I know Amaral's 27. He's got a really crappy makeup. But you know what? Like, that's an interesting dude. Amaral's an interesting dude. I don't know if it's going to work out in Colorado. It probably isn't. But there's 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 just a little bit of chance that it works out. A little bit of chance that it works out. I love Adrian Rojas, though. I think Adrian Rojas is a guy that could be very interesting in Colorado. Because to me, the guys that benefit the most from playing in Colorado are those that have below average offensive profiles, but are really good in other ways. Adrian Rojas could win gold glove awards in center field. He could very well win gold gloves in center field. And with an above average hit tool, the ability to put the bat to the ball, he's got a little bit of above average gap power. That is a dude that I think profiles so, so well in Colorado. So, like, I, I it's not like an egregious overpay. And... You could even make the case it's not an overpay for Tampa. But Brandon Marsh is the definition of a guy who's now 30 and fragile and hasn't been elite enough to warrant this kind of interest, in my opinion. So if you want to say that it's least if it's less egregious than the other trade. That we just talked about with Escobar, fine. I'm not going to fight you on that one. I'm too tired to fight you on it, frankly. But I didn't understand it, once again. But it gets better. Because we got two more trades. Andy Switzer. Andy Switzer! It's like, yes, we got Andy Switzer! It's like that meme where that guy's really happy to start out. And you see it on his face. He's smiling. He's happy. And then you see, like, yes, we got Andy Switzer. Oh, my God. We gave up Pocasino. Like, what an absolute... Imagine being a Rays fan in real life and seeing this trade. 
you would be jumping for joy knowing that you got one of the best pitchers in baseball. Andy Switzer has been great. Now, he was not great this year. That's one thing I want to say. He's got a horrible work ethic. And he's going to start getting pretty expensive here. I know that he's estimated for about 950000 but I think it's a matter of time before he starts making a decent amount of money. It, <laughs> to give up Bo Casino and some other guys that I'm interested in... I, <laughs> Like, to me, Bocasino is one of, like, the top three or four pitching prospects in baseball. I, I, what am I missing here? What what am I missing here? That you would buy high to get, to trade away Bocasino and Juan Tanea, who I also really like. But also might be a splits guy, but he could play center field. He, he might be the next... The next Danny Alvarez. He might just be the next Danny Alvarez. So to give up a, an excellent splits guy who can play center field, to give up a top four pitching prospect in the game for a guy that has been really good in the past but wasn't elite this season, has two and a half pitches and a horrible work ethic, like, again, what... What are we trying to accomplish here? Like, why would you trade... Why would you have traded Wander Franco and all these other guys at the trade deadline if you're just going to turn around and try to improve the team elsewhere? Like, you didn't need to do this. Because the next trade is by far the worst of them all. Which is really saying something, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, God. So, the Dodgers trade Bregman. Again, that's like the start of the meme where race fans are elated. They're getting Alex Bregman. Oh, my God, Alex Bregman. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then you see they gave up Chad Oopliger. Oof. Oof. Oh my gosh, like, why are we doing this, Noah? I really need an explanation. Chad Upliger is, for my money, the second best pitching prospect in the game. All right, Alex Artiga, to me, hands down, the number one pitching prospect in the game. Chad Upliger is number two or number three, depending on what you think about Jose Avila with the Orioles. Jose Avila might be number two. He might even be number one. I don't know. Between Avila and Artiga, that's a fair conversation. Upliger is number three and really, really good. All right. That's the point of this topic. Upliger is awesome. Alejandre is great. Not as great, but great. Josh Anthony has been a very serviceable major leaguer. Tyler Callahan... It's it's a it's a it's a meme, it's a joke at this point. Like I think he's just in there for comedic relief because to give up Oopliger was about fair value for Bregman at 50% retention. Alejandre, you're starting to get a little I think you're starting to get a little bit 
expensive there. And then you throw in Josh Anthony. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think that's great. And then you throw in Tyler Callahan. It's, oh, man, what a what a overpay. And I like Nate Boyko. I mean, I know he's got poor movement, but that's like that's just the icing on the cake here. What a haul for the Dodgers. You lose Bregman, but you bring in Callahan, who's not a one-for-one -one replacement, but is really close to it under the radar. Like, here's the thing with this trade for the Rays. The whole point of the Rays is this roster is not close to competing, okay? This roster is not ready to compete with the Yankees and the Blue Jays for championships and for division races. It's just not. And we'll see what happens with the Blue Jays. I mean, I know they're losing Guerrero. That's a humongous loss for the Blue Jays. I acknowledge that, but they've got money to spend, and I, I just get this sense that they're going to extend Guerrero, or they're going to bring him back. Like, Alex Bregman for four war, okay, like that's that's great. But you also traded away Wander Franco, who was basically that. <laughs> like I know Alex Bregman put up five war last year, but again, the ratings are declining. You cannot expect him to keep putting this kind of performance up. I don't think you can. So I would expect like four and a half war, which is still a really nice player, but that's not gonna move the needle Andy Switzer a little bit unlucky this year but is he an ace no he's not an ace he never was an ace like it was the ultimate facade for Andy Switzer like he was great he was great but he was managed to perfection by Seth and the Royals they extracted absolute max value out of Andy Switzer and I don't think you feel confident starting him in a playoff game, like as your number one starter. And that's what he was for the Royals, and I couldn't believe it. I don't think this profile is going to age well. I just don't. And then, again, like Brandon Marsh, is that going to really move the needle here? Like... I don't know. And then you lose Milano on top of it and you replace him with, with Escobar. I get that. But how much different is the talent level from the trade deadline to now? And along the way, you have completely de de depleted your farm system to the point where I don't think they have a single top 100 prospect. I mean, I'm looking right now. <laughs> yeah, they don't have a single top 100 prospect whatsoever anywhere throughout that farm system now so you went from a team that won 70 games to a team that maybe wins 80 maybe 81 82 i'll say 82 i'll be generous i think the red sox do take a step back this year do you honestly expect to make the playoffs with that roster as is? Because we know for sure that Noah doesn't have money now and he doesn't have prospects. 
he has no leverage. He has he does not have the ability to go out and get the kinds of players that he just got. So you've hamstrung yourself where you're relying on each of those guys to be stars. And if you're not, if they're not stars, you're screwed. So Noah has really screwed that hole very deep. And I don't see a situation where this works out. Like this needs to be a 90th percentile outcome for this team in order to make the playoffs. That's just my opinion. So I think it's it was a disastrous set of moves by the Rays. And again, this isn't me trying to discourage Noah. It's not me trying to put propaganda out there for the Yankees. The Yankees win enough. That's the propaganda. I don't care about the Rays. Like, I thank Noah that he made these moves because my path to the division has just gotten even easier. Like, am I worried about Noah's team? No, 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 no. I was going to do a little bit more, but I know we're coming up here on an hour, almost 55 minutes. So that'll do it for this particular episode of Defying Gravity. Thank you guys once again for listening. We'll try to do a podcast once a week. So if you are interested in coming on, let me know. But thank you for listening. That'll do it for this episode. We'll see you guys next time.